Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Web Chatham Report, episode 40. How you doing? Happy Sunday. <laughs> I'm a week and two days late on this. And then I tried to do it this morning, but (laughs) Jane was not having it. It's not like the old days when she was a little baby and you could be like, make a cooing sound, Jane. And she'd go, no, she just wants to hold on to the microphone. She just wants to bang on it. And she's particularly attracted to the little red button that mutes the mic. So there was no real chance of that working. So (laughs) I gave up and waited till this afternoon. Uh, Yeah. It's been a busy couple of weeks. I, uh, this is why I haven't done this last week. We had a bunch of visitors. My friends Abby and Jussie were in town last weekend. A good part of last week, actually. I think they got here Wednesday and stayed till Tuesday. So about a week they were here. Uh, I tried to do the podcast on Friday, but we, or Saturday, but we had things we were going to do on Saturday. So that didn't really work out. Work has been really busy. So I didn't really have the ability to do it on Friday. And then this week, same thing. Work was busy. And then yesterday I had a bunch of tasks and errands and the baby. And anyway, man, yeah, it's crazy. And then uh, I'm traveling for four weeks in a row. I'm in the middle of it. That's not even, not even halfway done. I went to New York last week, but this week I'm going to New Orleans for that Inno conference, doing a couple talks, one with my friend Ryan Freitas, one with my friend Aubrey Sabala. Those will be fun. If you're in New Orleans, come on by. And then back to New York the day after my birthday for one night. And then the next week after that, back to New York again, because the auditors are in town. And so I have to deal with that. It's just a lot. It's just a lot. We had another visitor in town. My friend Jen Norton came this week as well. She was here Thursday night. That was pretty exciting. And I missed some people. My friend Galpert came and he took a picture of the RDU balloons. That was pretty exciting, but I I couldn't meet up with him. I was in New York for most of his visit, but <laughs> that was a bummer. And then this weekend, I'm missing another friend just because I couldn't get my act together. So it's it's crazy. Social life down, in, down here in Chapel Hill. I thought, you know, I was being a hermit, but it's not working out that way. Last night, we had two social engagements. It was nuts. Been a couple bonfires. We had one last night next door. That was a good time. Saw a few more of the neighbors. And then there was a bonfire last week. And Abby and Jesse got to go to a bonfire. So that was nice. We got to introduce them to, you know, the chickens next door and the little baby chicks they have now, too, which is pretty exciting. Cute little baby chicks. Oh, they're so cute. Uh, so, yeah, that stuff's going on. The weather's been great. It's beautiful and sunny. It's it's quite nice outside. I'm looking out over my pond right now. But, you know, hasn't all been uh, a bed of roses. We have house problems. This Powerwall installation is proving nightmarish because there was something on our electrical system that was feeding back power whenever they simulated a power outage and it was causing circuits to short and it burned out the fried out the logic controller board on two of our air conditioning controller units so now we only have one air conditioning we have four zones but two of them are burned out and then after much investigation for like three days they figured out that the thing that was uh feeding back onto the circuit was the air conditioner in this room in my studio 
So this room is not air conditioned as well. It's in the basement. It's got, you know, tile floor and only windows on one side. So it's not too bad, even though it's been in the low 80s this week. But we're going out. We're about, I think this is day four without electricity. We're going to go two or three more days without electricity, without air conditioning. Uh, but the lucky thing is the one that worked that didn't break was the one on the top floor. So if you have your top floor air conditioner on, it just sort of the cold just cascades through the house. So it's actually been pretty tolerable. It's not too bad. And uh, we are saving hella electricity, which is great. And, uh, the power walls are working. They, they came with this cool new app that tells you how much electricity you're using and where it's going and where it's coming from. And, uh, you know, we're doing good. We're like net contributing to the grid right now. But I think that's because two of our AC units are burned out. But right at this second, uh, our solar panels are generating 10.5 kilowatts of electricity. The house is consuming 1.9 kilowatts of electricity, and we are returning to the grid 8.6 kilowatts of electricity. Yesterday on the grid, we took from the grid 10.2 kilowatts, and we gave to the grid 19.8 kilowatts. So we were net negative, and we are carbon negative yesterday, which is pretty cool. Uh, yeah, that's pretty awesome. And then the batteries can kind of smooth that out a little bit, which is pretty sweet. Solar is making 31 kilowatt hours today so far. Let's see what it made yesterday. 78 kilowatt hours. So yeah, it's pretty awesome. I mean, once we get this air conditioner fixed and the, the simulated power outage works because uh, my AC unit in here isn't feeding back and then we got to get this unit fixed. And this old grizzled old naval electrical engineer came by. He's like the master at the solar company. And after like the, the dudes that have been working on it couldn't do it. They sent the genius and he figured out it was this AC unit and he listed off AC units that he's never had a problem with and he knows it works. But I think this one's probably beat up. I don't know. There's a grill on it and it's like pulling away. I think like maybe a raccoon got in there or something. I don't really know. Anyway, this is a lot of rambling for an intro because I got a really long episode because it's been two weeks and I've been to a ton of shows and I've done a ton of stuff and consumed a bunch of media. So we will move on. But uh, weird times here in Chatham County, man. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I have a note here. <laughs> for the last thing in my Chatham report notes. And it says, podcast is more like therapy. And I don't know exactly what that means. I mean, I like talking to you guys, and it is kind of like therapy. But uh, I don't know what I was thinking. It's under Abby and Jesse being visitors. And it says, Easter, bonfire, podcast more like therapy. I don't know what that means. I was probably drunk. I got drunk at the, the bonfires. When the bonfires increase their frequency, it really does ruin my I only drink at bonfires kind of thing. So I've been drinking at home too much this week. I got to get that back under control. I mean, there's no under control. There's just not going to be another bonfire for a while. So we're fine. No more visitors for a while. So we are good. Jane is great. She turned 18 months old yesterday. She's got a ton more words. She can say more words. I'm teaching her beard now. She sat in my lap for like an hour this morning, just pulling on my beard. And I was going beard, beard. And she go, be, be, be. That was really cute. She knows a bunch more words. She's holding hands and walking around now, which is pretty exciting. She got a sandbox that she plays in, which is pretty exciting. She's getting very sneaky. She keeps sneaking things. She knows when she's not. There's things that she's not supposed to have, and she sneaks them. Like, she's really obsessed with my cinnamon toothpicks, and she just, I mean, they burn my lips. I don't even know how she can handle these things. It's a total mystery, but she just sucks on them. Like, there's no tomorrow. She's so into cinnamon. So I think I might give her, like, a cinnamon 
sticks because I, you know, these toothpicks, if, she's, if they're not burning her, I guess it's fine. But uh, I'm worried about her, like, you know, they're sharp. I don't want her to, like, poke herself or poke her eye out or something, you know. So maybe I'll give her cinnamon sticks. I don't know. I've never heard of anybody giving a baby cinnamon sticks, but then I've never heard of a baby being as obsessed with cinnamon as my baby is. She's also disturbingly obsessed with artificial and stevia-based sweeteners. She just takes our soda cans and just licks the rims of them, which is, you know, I mean, the rims of the cans are sharp. <laughs> it's very disturbing, but it's because we don't give her any sweets and she's discovered sweets uh, circuitously through stevia. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, she looks like a little like sad drunk, like pouring the can, trying to get it. And she just, she just knows how to get them out of the recycling bins and stuff now. It is quite disturbing. She is a smart little baby. Uh, she's got a baby party coming up in about two hours. Yeah, about two hours. Jeez, I got to finish this. Oh, my God. Got to help Emma get ready. I did a bunch of veggie and fruit plates this morning, but there's more to do. But so from our centering group, we have all these baby friends. I've mentioned them before, but one of them is leaving town. Uh, this one couple, they're moving back to New Hampshire. So we're all having a good bye party for them. So all the babies will be over in a couple hours. Like I said, crazy times, crazy times. All right, music. So this is going to be this is going to be a lot. So let's do it. Music, sold music, Discogs. I sold a bunch on Discogs. I sold three Leica CDs, all my remaining Leica CDs. I don't know if you know Leica, but it's uh, Margaret Fiedler and Guy Fixin, formerly of Moonshake. I sold the Good Looking Blues album. I sold the Antenna EP, which I dearly loved. It was on American Recordings early on. Beautiful cover, too. Like, digipack black linen, like, textured linen sleeve with a silver... Uh, embossing of a uh, satellite. It's just gorgeous. I used to have it on a TV, a t-shirt. I wore that t-shirt. I bought it at the Lake of Tour, actually. I, bought, I wore that t-shirt to death. I still have it. It was mirrored printing, but it, it faded. And then there's also a tour CD, a tour only CD I bought on the 92 Leica tour at TT the Bears. I was very, very sad to see that go. Then I told the guy, I was like, I bought this at the tour. I'm sad to see it go. But uh, I already had good looking blues on vinyl and I realized that the first like album I did not have on vinyl. So I bought that on vinyl. That was a little uh, consolation prize. And then I sold uh, the Ancestors EP by Edith Frost, which is a gift for my friend Mike Anderson back when he worked at Cargo Records. And uh, I was like, oh my God, I remember Edith Frost. I loved Edith Frost. And so I decided to listen to all of Edith Frost's albums since then. Uh, it's a game, Wonder Wonder, Telescopic, and Calling Over Time. I listened to four Edith Frost albums. They're great. I'm not going to buy any of them. I always liked her, though. And she's still making good, nice, melodic folk music. She's pretty great. So the self-titled Public Image album. I'm not a big Public Image fan anymore. Uh... Yeah, I, I'm impressed with what they did, but I just don't care anymore. And uh, I sold the cassette, my factory records cassette copy of Valuable Passages by Derudy Column. Fine, that's fine. I bought that back when I collected all of factory records. Never a huge Derudy Column fan. Also, I have it on CD anyway, so whatever. And I sold my CD copy of The Drift by Scott Walker, which of course makes sense. There's a lot of Scott Walker selling and buying going on right now. I myself have bought a couple Scott Walker albums on vinyl to fill out my collection, but I already had that one on vinyl too, so I'm happy it went to a a good home of another Scott Walker fan. So much of live shows. I'm back in the I'm back in the saddle. I, I told you guys this is gonna happen, and it did. It kicked in. 
Let's see, one, two, three, four, five. I saw five live events in the last two weeks. First one was I saw Phosphorescent with uh, their opener, Joe Shornikow. Joe Shornikow, she is a guitarist and pianist. She did solo guitar, and then she also played in Phosphorescent on the, I think it's a Hammond organ, a little hard to tell. Uh, <laughs> it was a good show. It was, you know... It was about half full at Cat's Cradle. It was a Monday night. It, you know, it's interesting. Like, uh, the, the new phosphorescent album starts with this song. The album's called Say La Vie, but the first song is like, uh, it's. <laughs> I call it his Jimmy Buffett song. It's just too happy and it really bugs me and I don't like it. And it got me and he played it first and I was like, oh man, the, the magic of phosphorescent is ruined. Uh, but that's not really fair, you know? And I was thinking like, there's this really good interview with, uh, what's his name from Wilco. And he was like, Jeff Tweedy, he, cause he put on a new solo album and it's pretty happy too. And he's like, and there's even lines in the album about like, I'm happy now and I make happier music and my old fans don't like it and they think I should be on drugs again. And, and it's tough because like I understand they're happier people, so they're not gonna make the same depressing music they made like earlier in life, but that's what I want to hear, man. <laughs> and then I was telling this to Emma and she's like, Well, Fiona Apple said she doesn't make music at all when she's happy. She only makes it when she's sad because she knows it's not as good when she was happy. And I thought about Tim Booth from James, who said that uh, you know, there's a line in Laid where he says, My therapist said not to see you no more, but actually what his therapist said is I could cure you, but you wouldn't make good music anymore. So he's like, Okay, well, I'm not going to therapy then. So I spent most of the show musing about the relationship between art and sadness and artists that become happier and whether they should keep making sad art. And I don't know, man, it's tough, but, uh, you know, he delivered, he knows that he knows what we want from him and he's only made one happy song across like five albums. So I shouldn't get too lost in thought about it. Uh, and he ended with song for Zulu, which is just a beautiful song. And then yeah, I, was, I came home and for some reason I found myself reading the uh, mastering, the, the, the Discogs page for this friend of mine, Jeff Lifton, who's a mastering engineer. And he's really, he's one of the greats. I mean, he's just mastered just about everything. It's amazing. But I noticed he had mastered phosphorescent and I was like, how many albums do they have? Do you know, why did I ever learn about this band? I just started thinking about it and I was like, I didn't know Jeff mastered phosphorescent. That's really weird. And it was their first album. And I looked at their first album and I know everyone that plays on it. They're all old friends of mine. And it all came back to me all of a sudden. I was like, oh, right. That's how I got into phosphorescent. All my friends were in phosphorescent back then. Aubrey Anderson and Colin Reinsmith and Brian Dunn. When I used to hang out with them, the first phosphorescent album was recorded at the Longhouse when it was in Athens, Georgia. But we recorded the Rockets albums at the Longhouse when it moved up to Alston. And I was like, oh, I forgot I used to know this guy. <laughs> And then two days later, Abby got here and then she used to date Aubrey. And I was like, I was, I was at the phosphorescent show that I realized she's like, oh yeah, yeah. We, we used to be friends with him. That's how you figured it out. And I had no recollection of that. So that was interesting. Um, so I listened to that album this week. I hadn't really, you know, it's called a hundred times or more the first phosphorescent album. And I listened to it. And I was like, oh yeah, this totally sounds like the clairvoyance of skating club. So this makes perfect sense. Uh, so that was interesting. And then let's see. Uh, then I went to the Mitski show with a Jay Som as an opener. Jay Som is a female fronted rock band. They were great. I don't know much about them, but they are awesome. And the Mitski show was so great and so weird. And it was very different from, you know, Monday night was about half full and it was all old dudes and Wednesday night or Tuesday night was it was sold out it was packed Mitski actually actually sold 
two nights out at Cat's Cradle, which is about a 500 capacity room. And it was probably 85% uh, college girls. <laughs> it was really weird. And then, I mean, it was awesome. And she like, she's just like puts on a really weird performance and it was very sort of performance already, although she's got a full rock band and it's really great. And I was like, you know, I spent the first part of the show trying to sort of like belittle it by like trying to figure it not belittle it because I really impressed. I was really impressed with what she was doing, but I was like, she's her generation's PJ Harvey. No, she's her generation's Kate Bush. No, maybe Sinead O'Connor or is it Fiona Apple or is it Poe? You know, cause like she's early in her career and I went on this long tangent thinking about like careers and like, you know, their first albums are really powerful. And I started thinking about second albums and she's on her third now. And I was really thinking a lot about PJ Harvey because first time I saw PJ Harvey was her first album. And then the second album was like just amazing. That was at city club, which became Avalon, which became house of blues in Boston. And, you know, she still had her old band and it's the one that Steve Albini produced rid of me. And it was like one of the greatest shows I ever saw. And then I saw her there again, same venue a couple years later for her third album down by the water. And this is Jay uh, Mitski's third album, be the cowboy. And they both are the two that get like more melodic after some hard rock and stuff. Like there's, a song called Townie on the last uh, Mitski album. It's just a fantastic rock song all around. And then the new album is more melodic. And so I was thinking a lot about PJ Harvey, but I was like, I don't know, man, maybe this isn't really fair. And I said, you know, maybe will she have the staying power of PJ Harvey? Will she like become reclusive and weird like PJ Harvey? Or maybe she's more like Sinead who still puts out albums, but nobody really notices anymore. Maybe it's going to be like Fiona Apple where like it dies down. And then I was like, or maybe it's going to be like Poe where she just disappears. And I was thinking of Poe and Jane Child. And then I was like, you know, that's not actually fair because back then artists disappeared because labels lost interest in them and they couldn't get anybody to put a record out and it was very expensive to put a record out so they just disappeared you know like what happened to Poe I don't even know and I was like you shouldn't you know uh, impart or assume a work ethic on an artist because they stopped putting music out because back then you had to get a record deal to put music out so you know I was like she maybe Mitski will never be screwed around by her label or maybe like she doesn't matter if she's screwed around by her label she can just put out music on Bandcamp and I was like but all of this is just sort of like an old person trying to put her in a box she really is her own thing there's like a whole I'll spare you this whole thought process I had about Klaus Nomi because she actually reminded me of Klaus Nomi in some ways even though she's way melodic but you know her performance was very classic was know me esque and I was like man this is amazing and then I started thinking about fans that uh don't stick around you know she's this is her height of her fame right now and are these fans gonna be there when she puts out her fifth and sixth and seventh albums like you know did people go to the white chalk PJ Harvey tour I did but you know I don't know if other people did or you like think of the Jesus Mary Chain or these huge bands and people don't stick around anymore on your fifth sixth tenth album and you know Anyway, it was a great show. And then I came home. I was, it was so crowded. I couldn't really get some good photos. I got one that was okay, but I was looking on Instagram and there's all these photos from the show. And, and one woman had a great caption. She's like, I'm here with 500 other college girls to thank Mitski for being a good mom. <laughs> I liked that. That was a good one. So then on Friday night, me and Emma and Jussie and Abby all went to see the church. The church is one of Jussie's favorite bands. She's seen them millions of times. I've actually seen the church with her and, um, uh, Marty Wilson Piper from the church solo at the Middle East upstairs back when Jesse and I lived together back in the early nineties, but you know, it's been 20 some years and this was uh, a tour where they had two sets. The first set they played all of starfish, the album with uh, under the Milky way and reptile. probably their two biggest hits. And then they did a second set of their newest stuff. Uh, 
Starfish was good, but like the second set was probably better. And uh, there's some meandering and some guitar, guitar noodling. But the last song called Miami, I thought was great. and actually kind of reminded me of like Electricity by Spiritualize or something. It was a hard rocker. I was really into it. So I came home and I listened to that album. It's called Further Deeper. And I specifically listened to Miami on album. And it was not as hard rocking on the album, but it's still, it's a good record. Further Deeper, the last church album is pretty solid. Uh, and then on, doo, 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 that was Friday. Then on Tuesday night, I'm in New York. I go see Benny, one of the co-founders of Time Up. We're having some drinks at Tom and Cherry's. It's a great night. We're just shooting the shit about all sorts of stuff. And he's like, hey, do you want to go to this weird comedy thing with me? Uh, it's like a Time Hop comedy thing. And I'm like, what? I, I don't really know what you mean by that. He's like, oh, I don't really know. It's called On This Day. And I was like, well, where is it? He's like, oh, it's in the Lower East Side. I'm like, okay, I don't really have anything to do. I was going to see another friend, but they hadn't texted yet. And I love the Lower East Side. So I just went with him and we walked down there and kept talking. And then we got there and, you know, we got to the door and it was in the old theater on Clinton Street where my friend Jill's memorial service was. So that was pretty intense, but it's been completely remodeled. It's called Caveat. It's now like a nerd comedy club it's very very posh in there it's a nerd comedy club i i didn't know such thing existed it was pretty exciting so i'm like all right yeah i'm going to this <laughs> we go in into this this guy and this woman they're a duo and they they sing a song about on this day to a slideshow that they wrote just for the day it's amazing right it's very time hoppy and then it's like a it's like a sketch comedy review there's like three or four guests and everybody's millennial at one point he asked, or at one point they asked like are you millennial raise your hand about half the room raised their hand they're like if you're gen x raise your hand and i was like me i was literally the only one and then they're like if you're younger the millennial raise your hand a bunch of people raised their hand and i was like oh my god everybody's so young but it was hilarious there was a whole thing about jennifer lopez because uh one Jennifer Lopez movie came out on that day. I can't remember which one. And there's a whole thing about 13 going on 30 because it had been released on April 23rd. And then they close out the show where the two of them have another song where they just sing about their time hops and they show like the social media from their time hops and they wrote a song about it. And it was just so weird. Uh, and we met him afterwards and cause Benny's like girlfriend's sister was friends with them or something. I don't really remember exactly, but we met them. That was pretty fascinating. It was a good time. It was really weird. It's called On This Day. It's a monthly thing, third Tuesday of the month at Caveat. I think the Time Hop Gang is going to go next month, so that'll be pretty fun. May 21st. And then I came home on Thursday and uh, my friend Jen showed up. She was down here visiting a bunch of old high school friends having a reunion in Raleigh. And so she stayed with us the night before. It was great. We all caught up. And then she and I went back to Cat's Cradle for the fourth time. <laughs> and we saw Acid Mother's Temple and Yamantaka Sonic Titans, who were great. But Acid Mother's Temple was amazing. It's probably like the 20th time I've ever seen them. And I know Jen had never seen them before. And uh, it's funny because I've been seeing them for like 20 years. And I've been friends with Jen for like 20 years. And she was like, well, not quite 20, maybe 18, 17. And I was like, this is the band that Mike Rubenstein and I used to always go see back in the day and she's like really i never even knew about this i'm like oh yeah this was like a whole thing back when we used to hang out with you all the time so she was very excited she she actually enjoyed it which was a real risk i mean bringing a, a stranger to acid mother's temple is is fraught with peril but i've had good luck through the years uh, mike ruby got really into them and emma's come with me a few times and she appreciates them but she's like i've seen them enough you should go with him so jen came and it worked pretty well i was pretty excited Got to see us in Mother's Temple again. Man, what a great band. What a great band. 
All right. And then I told you this was coming last two weeks ago, but I decided to give all of the Nick Cave and Warren Ellis soundtracks a listen. We've tur- we're turning to recorded music now. This is I listen to so much music. It's going to take a while. I will be necessarily brief. I apologize, but we're going to go through them all. Uh, there's a whole section on nickcave.com about the Nick Cave and Warren Ellis soundtracks, and I had poked around on there not long ago, and I didn't realize how many there were. I already own five of them. I own White Lunar, which is a compilation from the first two, The English Surgeon and Girls of Phnom Penh. I own The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. I own The Proposition soundtrack. Those are the first three that were released, and then I own Line Days Ohms, and I own The Lawless soundtrack, and I guess that's it. Those are the ones I already had, but there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine other ones that I didn't know about. West of Memphis, which was very, very mostly ambient. Far from Men, which was also mostly ambient, sounded a lot like West of Memphis. The Road, the Cormac McCarthy film, had had some noisy bits. Got a little weird once in a while. Got a little rocky in there about twice. It's pretty exciting. Days of Grace, which had lots of weird French vocal samples, must be from the movie. Some beats, and it was a bit noisier, but it had a bunch of other composers too. There was a Nick Cave Warren Ellis segment. There's an Atticus Ross segment with uh, his old band 12 Rounds, which are, you know, Atticus Ross, of course, is known for his soundtracks with Trent Reznor, but he had a band before that called 12 Rounds with this guy, Leopold Ross, his brother, and uh, uh, Claudia Sarn. And they had a, yeah, anyway, so they did a segment of the Days of Grace soundtrack together. Also, I learned in that that Atticus Ross's dad was the founder of Radio Caroline, which is the station that Pirate Radio was. about the movie Pirate Radio. Uh, and then there's a segment by Shigeru Umeyashi, who uh, is like Wong Kar Wai's composer. He did In the Mood for Love and a bunch of those things. So that one was really great because it was like very varied and interesting and weird. And uh, the first three were pretty samey. So I was starting to wonder what's up. And like, dude, Nick came and where now it's just <laughs> collect a check and crank out the same stuff, or do they really work on it? Uh, but I knew that wasn't true because the Lawless soundtrack, which I'd already listened to a long time ago, is very, very different than all of these. Then I listened to the Heller High Water one, which was way more country and it has some like country songs by other singer songwriters on it. Waylon Jennings, Chris Stapleton, Coulter Wall, so stuff like that. The music was a little scrapier, a little noisier, not just pure ambient. So that one was pretty good. Uh, then the Mars soundtrack, which has one song with vocals. The <laughs> This is from the National Geographic TV show Mars, which somebody told me I would enjoy. And they didn't. When they told me that, they, I, I didn't know, and I presume they didn't know that Nick Cave and Warren Ellis did the soundtrack to it. So now I'm doubly interested. Now I'm doubly interested in seeing the Mars show from National Geographic. And Nick Cave actually wrote the theme song for it, and he has vocals on it. In all of these, the five I'd listened to before, and those five, there was only one song on any of the other ones that had vocals on it. It's called The Writer Song, and it's on the Proposition soundtrack. So that was pretty exciting, vocals. Uh, then I listened to the Wind River soundtrack, which was more of the same, but it did have one scary weird song. So that was kind of interesting. And then Kings, which had some real, it was more melodic than the other ones. It was prettier than the other ones, but generally more of the same. Uh, and then the War Machine soundtrack, the uh, Netflix movie with uh, whatever his name is, <laughs> Brad Pitt. It's a great movie. And uh, I watched that movie. I didn't even know that they did the soundtrack to it. It has way more anthemic sort of like, you know, American patriotic music. And it has a Rachel song on it, which is pretty great. Rachel's, of course, are a classical rock, <laughs> a rock classical quartet. Not like classic rock, but classical music. String quartet, rock band. <laughs> that I was really, really into in the 90s, me and Annie and Craig and everybody really into. Saw several times back in the day, they were great. 
and then I realized that there was another Nick Cave soundtrack. There's a, several others, older ones that weren't with Warren Ellis, like Ghosts of the Civil and Dead. But there was one I never listened to, which is the How to Have and to Hold soundtrack, which Nick Cave did with Blixa Bargeld from Neubauten and Mick Harvey, his uh, former birthday party bandmate, who now is was, has been in Crime in the City Solution for a long time. Uh, so I, that's not on Spotify and I didn't have it. So I ordered a cheap CD copy for a buck and I had that shipped to me and I listened to that one too, just to round it out with a total of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine Nick Cave soundtracks in the last two weeks. So that was pretty cool. The, to have it to hold soundtrack is very different than the other ones. Bargeld and Mick Harvey are different collaborators when it comes to Nick Cave soundtrack music. Whew. And then I warned you last week as well that I was going to do a lot of catching up on music because the last two or three weeks I've just been listening to my my recently new music second and third times to pick singles. So this time I was like, okay, we're going to listen to all the stuff that's piled up. And it's probably about 20 albums. So <laughs> I will try and go through them pretty quickly. Uh, I listened to an EP by a band called The Happy Families that I discovered because I was looking up Bowery Electric, one of my favorite old drone bands from the 90s. And I discovered that Lawrence, who I used to know a little bit in the 90s, had a new band that called The Happy Families. And they had one album, EP, called New Forgetting. Uh, I listened to that. It's on Bandcamp. And then they seem to have broken up again. So I don't know what's up with that. I listened to something called Rare Birds by Jonathan Wilson. I have no recollection of listening to it or why I picked it. But <laughs> so I can't tell you anything about it. Uh, I listened to the new Priests record, The Seduction of Kansas, that on one listen I really enjoyed. I listened to the new Mekons record, Deserted, that I liked very much. I listened to the new Ways Blood record, Titanic Rising, that I only have vague positive feelings about, but I can't remember very well. Uh, I listened to the Christoph Penderecki and Beth Gibbons record beth gibbons from portishead they were doing henrik gorecki's symphony number no. three the symphony of sorrowful songs that is great it is full-on classical gorecki and uh it's awesome and beth gibbons is amazing and i was really into it i listened to it like three times and i can't recommend it enough and if you miss beth gibbons's voice give it a shot uh then i listened to the new finesse agora i enjoyed it it's sort of minimal electronica like a more melodic autecra kind of pleasant I listened to the new Ty Siegel, Deforming Lobes, which is a sort of reassembled from three nights of live performances, reassembled into a quote-unquote live album by Steve Albini doing the production on it, and it's properly rocking and weird and enjoyable, but I don't think I'll give it another listen to. I listened to the new Craig Finn, lead singer of The Hold Steady. He's got a series of solo albums through the years. He's got a new one. It's called I Need a New War. I've given that like three or four listens. Yeah, the lyrics are interesting, but it's not my favorite. And it doesn't have one or two songs that caught me so far like the last one did. And the one before that I just loved. But uh, this one, I'm like, it's okay so far. I listened to the new Mountain Goats and League with Dragons, giving it two listens. It is a very smart, interesting, fascinating record that deserves more listening, and it will get it. I listened to a band called Basement, an album called Beside Myself I have no recollection of. <laughs> Maybe I'll leave that one and Jonathan Wilson on here and fill you in again on them later. Listen to the new Chemical Brothers, No Geography. I thought it was pretty great. Two great tracks, and the last track is really kind of interesting too, so I had a lot of promise. Needs uh, some extra listens, but I've already started a few tracks on that. Listen to the new Deaf Kids, uh, Metaprogrammacio. Did not really enjoy that. <laughs> we'll be listening to that again. Listen to the Broken Social Scene. Let's try for the After Volume 2 listen to that a bunch because the ep came out last week but then also i think i told you this i bought the volume one volume two combined lp for record store day so i've been listening to the vinyl of that and that is great i'm really into it 
listening to Billie Eilish album, Don't Smile at Me. Uh, I also bought that in vinyl on Glow in the Dark Vinyl. It is great. I guess she's like a popular pop singer when it's like really scary, moody, ambient music that doesn't really seem like it should be popular. So if that's what the kids are listening to, then the kids are all right. I'm pretty into it. Yeah, somebody had mentioned to her, I read something on Facebook, a friend of mine had mentioned, like, this is weird, and I, so I think I've mentioned to you guys, I've been listening to a few singles by her throughout the year, but I finally, a whole album came out, listened to it, it's great, it's weird, I'm into it. Then I listened to an album by Coulter Wall, Imaginary Appalachia, I listened to this because when I was listening to one of those Nick Cave soundtracks, it had a song by him on it, the Hell or High Water soundtrack, and so I was like, oh, this guy sounds cool, so I listened to him. Pretty cool, you know, like uh, old-fashioned style driving moody country music. It was pretty cool. Uh, New Order has released a 2019 definitive remaster of their first album, Movement, that comes with an entire second CD of alternate versions, rehearsal demos, things like that. So I listened to that. The Movement mastering is fine. They've done a bunch of remasters through the years, and I really couldn't tell anything amazingly better about this one, but... uh, The bonus tracks are amazing, and I strongly recommend listening to the second CD of the definitive 2019 remaster of Movement by New Order. Then I listened to Loretta Lynn, Coal Miner's Daughter, which was one of my vinyl me please of the subscription to the month records. And I loved that movie when I was a kid, and I love Loretta Lynn. So that was very, very exciting. I knew a lot of songs in that from my childhood, but I can't say I ever listened to the whole album before. So. That was great. Listen to the new Flaming Lips, King's Mouth Music and Songs. Got it for Record Store Day in advance of a wide release, so it's out there now. If it's not, it will be soon. It was fine. It wasn't my favorite Flaming Lips record. I have really enjoyed their last several records, so this is coming from a late-period Flaming Lips fan, but uh, it was okay. It's like more of a story. It's a soundtrack to an installation, apparently, so, you know, concept music. I listened to the Beach Bum original motion picture soundtrack because, as you may recall, I watched the Beach Bum, the new Harmony Corinne film a few months back or about a month ago, and I loved it. So I listened to the soundtrack. It's great. It's got like everything you want. Gordon Lightfoot. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, if you ever want to hear a collaboration song between Jimmy Buffett and Snoop Dogg, this is your chance, and it is worth it. Then I listened to an album that I can't pronounce, perhaps a band called Amaheo. Naivehi was the name of the album. It's all in Cyrillic. It was a recommendation from my friend Nicky, because I think he thinks he got played an April Fool's joke by Spotify, and he was listening to it because they added it to one of his playlists. And uh, he told me it was pretty good, so I gave it a listen. And he's right. It was pretty good. So that was fun. Thank you, Spotify, for your weird uh, April Fool's Day. Uh, And then I listened to, wait, I'm sorry, the Billie Eilish Don't Smile at Me was the old Billie Eilish album. Then when the new one came out, When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? I gave that a listen. That's the one I bought on Go in the Dark Vinyl, the new one, I think. I'm a little confused now. I'll have to double check that. Then I listened to a band called Monster Rally, an album called Starlight. I have no recollection of whatsoever, so that's three. We'll check that one out again. Uh, then I listened to the Innocence album, So Together, because Innocence was the girl group from, uh, what's his name? The guy that went to jail. It's from that boy band movie I watched. Oh, I got look his name up. Oh yeah, Lou Pearlman, and uh, there was one of the, you know, they interviewed people from a lot of his bands, and the woman from Innocence just seemed very, like, she had her act together and was interesting, so I was like, I'm gonna give that album a listen. It was terrible. I mean, you know, I was academically interested in all that stuff when it came out, but I always never thought it was good. That one is particularly bad, though. 
Uh, I didn't listen to Janice Rasmussen, that, which I remember liking, but I can't tell you much about. I listened to the new Karen O and Danger Mouse, Lux Prima, which I thought was great on first listen. I listened to the Knight Rider original television soundtrack, Double Vinyl by Stu Phillips, which I thought was awesome. And I listened to a new single by Swerve Driver called Think I'm Gonna Feel Better. That was really good. Uh, the Stars EP, Sad Robots, which I had never listened to back in the day, but it was great. The new Brian Jonestown Massacre. It's like their 15th album, but it's the self-titled one and it was it was brian johnson massacre that guy just still keeps cranking out great records so that was pretty solid uh yeah that's about it Ooh, wow that was a lot of music i just knew a lot of music in the last few days so we got through it thank you for bearing with me television uh i always have permanently have msnbc on here as a placeholder for talking about news but uh, I only watched it the one day, the day the Mueller report came out, and we'll talk about that later because I actually read the whole report. Uh, Abby, Jussie, and Emma were watching Project Runway. They've always been really into it. They watch it together even when they're out, uh, not in the same town, so they were watching that all week. So I watched, I don't know, four episodes of Project Runway, which I do occasionally when Emma's watching it. Normally, she watches it in the evening after I've gone to bed, so I haven't seen it in a couple of years. Uh, Carly Kloss is good. I like her. She... She she makes a good Heidi. I don't know. It's fine. It's more of the same. It's uh you get really sucked into it. it you know, a lot of talented people, a lot of drama. So I watched some of that, <laughs> and then we watched some of Jeopardy to see that guy that's winning. And it was it was interesting. He's good, but it was definitely less fun watching him than watching a bunch of idiots. And uh, I don't know. I don't. He's a little weird. He creeps me out, if I'm being honest. And then we watched one of the Orville. We have three. We're behind because the life has been so busy. But we watched one of them this week, and that's a great show. It was uh, some interesting storybook structure stuff that made the episode a little weak, but it was exactly the sort of story words, story structure stuff that the old Star Trek would do that was a little weak. So I don't know. But other than that, it, you know, it's interesting. They, they've had a couple episodes where they do a next generation style episode where they're like moral dilemma. And then like next generation, it resolves the end. And then they fly away. But they surprised you by they come back to these more. They're like, oh, there were ramifications and we have to deal with them, which Next Generation often did not do. So I thought that's really nice. It's a nice step up. It's a really smart show. We were at the church, so we were sitting in the old people section in the back, even though the whole whole place was old people. But I got there early and got old people seating. And there was an old guy in front of us. He's like, you know what the best show on TV is, is the Orville. It's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you know, you preaching to the choir here, man. We like that show. Uh, and then, of course, Game of Thrones, which I don't know how much to talk about because of spoilers and shit. But uh, I've really enjoyed the last two episodes. I've enjoyed that nobody really has been dying unduly. But the big thing, you know, we got the big episode tonight. Uh, it's going to be insane. They shot for 55 nights. It is apparently the largest battle ever filmed, so that'll be crazy. I'm uh, I'm nervous. Uh, the last two episodes were actual normal length, like an hour. This one is like significantly longer, so it's pretty crazy. It's, it's crazy time, man. Stuff's going down, but we'll talk about that next week, I guess, because it hasn't gone down yet. And then we got movies. Uh, let's see. We I rewatched Aquaman because Emma wanted to watch Aquaman, so we watched it. <laughs> it's it's as bad and as good as I remember. 
<laughs> the good parts are okay and the bad parts are just terrible. And now that Shazam's been out and you're like, oh, that's actually a solidly good movie. So you like, I think less about Aquaman. But uh, I don't know, man. There's something weird about that movie that kind of... I mean, it's just those endless sea battles at the end are so dumb. But the first part's okay. They, that movie really just craps out halfway through. I think about Aquaman too much. Then I watched Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings. I hadn't watched that since I was a kid, so that was pretty interesting. I forgot that he did not do Return of the King. That's uh, some other people. So I was like going to watch it, and then I was like, oh, I should probably watch Bakshi's Hobbit instead. So, but I haven't got around to it. That whole process just got lost because I've been too busy. But I enjoyed it. It was kind of pleasant. Uh, I had a lot of thoughts about it at the time, but I can't remember them now. So I guess I won't really. Uh... Oh, I remember. It's kind of fascinating how much uh, Peter Jackson took from it. I mean, you know, later stuff like Helm's Deep, totally different. But things like the uh, like Weathertop and Bree at the Prancing Pony, those are straight up lifted from Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings. Like when the ring wraith stabbed the empty beds, that is not in the book. He got it from Bakshi. And yeah, I probably watched the movie a hundred times when I was a kid, but I haven't seen it in 40 years. And uh, it's very fascinating. There's some parts are just terrible. Like their Elrond is just awful. Their Rivendell is not very good. But some parts I'm actually like, this is pretty good. This is pretty good. And let us not forget that Amazon is doing Lord of the Rings again. So we are going to see a third adaptation of Lord of the Rings in our lifetime. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm excited. I actually had a talk with the creator of the, well, the, not the creator, the acquirer at Amazon of the Lord of the Rings. And I pointed out to her that both Bakshi and Peter Jackson have not done Tom Bombadil. That Tom Bombadil, it was, has widely considered, uh, Peter Jackson says in, in his commentary that he thought it would be more or less unfilmable. And I was like, don't shy away from the challenge. You guys got to do Tom Bombadil. So if Tom Bombadil appears in the Amazon Lord of the Rings, you have yours truly to thank. Then Abby and I went to a movie on Saturday morning last Saturday. I told her, I was like, look, this is what I do on Saturday mornings. You guys can come if you want. Jussie famously falls asleep through movies all the time. So she's like, I don't think I'll be going. And Abby's like, well, what are you going to see? And I was like, I'm going to see a weird foreign sci-fi film by the French director, Claire Denis, starring Robert Pattinson of Twilight fame. And she's like, okay, all right, I'll go. So we went, it's called High Life. I don't know if you've heard about it. Um, my friend Annie and I are big Claire Denis fans from back in the day, uh, Beau Travai and Annette A. Bonny, and of course, I'm a giant Tinder Sticks fan, and Stuart Staples, the main guy in the Tinder Sticks, and the Tinder Sticks do most of the soundtracks to Claire Denis' films, including this one. It's called High Life. It was weird and compelling and great, and it's like all the things you want sci-fi to be when it's not trying to become sci-fi intellectual property. It's just like, hey, we're a weird, creepy movie. Aliens is perhaps the closest analog to Alien Singular, the first one. Uh, they've tried to do things like In the Mouth of Madness, maybe, or Sunshine. Sunshine was way, way a bigger scale, and The Mouth of Madness was more B-movie-ish, but, you know, kind of like a sci-fi horror isolation in space no one can hear you scream that kind of thing it was great and uh, Juliette Binoche is in it she's a frequent collaborator collaborator of Claire Denise and she's amazing so that was really great and I really enjoyed it I strongly recommend it and then of course we have Avengers uh, I re-watched Infinity War Friday night to prepare and yesterday last night we went to watch Endgame 
Just a quick update, the weekend is not over, but Avengers has already grossed $350 million in the U.S. and $1.2 billion worldwide, thus shattering all box office records ever, uh, including everything that The Force Awakens did, which was uh, highest debut domestically. Yeah, it's not even close. It is going to keep going. We still have the Sunday shows. It's insane. So, you know, I went and watched it last night. Uh, no real complaints. Um, I'll avoid spoilers, but uh, I will say that uh, in Infinity War, which I feel free to spoil, I've been very mad with Peter Quill every time I see that movie because he basically ruins everything and he's responsible for trillions of people's deaths because they have Thanos trapped and Peter Parker is about to pull the gauntlet off his head and uh, he punches him and gets him mad and then like the guy like escapes and, you know, the whole rest of the movie happens and he can snap his fingers and it's all Peter Quill's fault and it made me really, really mad. And I was like, that guy better not get off scot-free. And of course, you know, also his girlfriend died, so he was never going to get off scot-free. But uh, they, do that. They, they, they do a good job with him. He seems to, you know, not be in a good mood. <laughs> so <laughs> that's good. I was like, all right. And there were no other, like, major plot problems like that where one person did something stupid. Everybody, Emma put it like, she's like, everybody knows the stakes. Everybody knows they can't mess up. Everybody knows it's real. So that was nice. Uh, it was intense, man. And I, it, I probably need another watching. Plot is fairly complicated. And I had to think it through a few times. but. Uh, I think it all works. Uh, I'm not quite sure yet how to process it, but it was definitely an epic thing. A lot going on. It's pretty crazy. I read some headlines somewhere saying this weekend is arguably the apotheosis of geek culture with the end of the 22 film uh, Marvel Universe saga coming and uh, the Battle of Winterfell in the same weekend. <laughs> it's like, my God, it's pretty nuts. But it was a good time. I will watch it again. I might go again in the theater. I mean, there are like 22 showings of this film in one theater here. They start at 9 a.m. So if it's still like that next weekend, I'll go next weekend and see it again and sort of process it more. I like to, you know, you know, when you're watching movies sometimes and you're like, I can tell exactly where this movie's going and you're not even worried about the plot because you just kind of know how it's going to happen. This was not that. I did not know where the plot was going. They had twists and turns that kept me surprised. I mean, you know, not on the order of High Life by Claire Denis, but certainly more than something like Aquaman, where there's never a point where you're like actually surprised by the plot. So, you know, give them the props for that. In terms of trying to make a cinematic event that we've never seen before, it's kind of interesting. I mean, the cast is just so huge that it's like even these characters in the background with one line, you're like, oh, my God, that's a major character that I spent a lot of time with in the last few years. So that's all very interesting. But, you know, it's no Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> I wouldn't call it one of the greatest films ever, but I, I think it, uh, it accomplishes its mission. All right, books. Let's see. So I finished Working by Robert Caro. I think, I can't remember. It's been so long. But the only thing I'll say about that is that there was only one chapter in there that was really anything new because it was a lot of rehash stuff from reading all the stuff I've had before, but the new chapter was worth it. And uh, he also mentioned in passing that he met LBJ briefly, which I thought was really interesting. It's the second book in a row I've read because I uh, recall in the Henry Miller book about Mishima, he also said, oh, I met Mishima briefly. So these guys, it's like they meet him once and they're like, I must write a book about them. So who would I write a book about, I wonder? David Lynch? I don't know. And then I read the entire redacted Mueller report. Uh, it's in two volumes. Volume one is about Russia. Volume two is about obstruction of justice. Volume one 
is just this depressing. Also, there's more redacted in volume one, so I can't say the things I say with confidence about volume two with for volume one because there's a lot redacted still. But uh, and then volume two is the obstruction stuff. And uh, so what Mueller does is at the intro of the whole report, he's like, here's the thing. A president can't be indicted as far as I'm concerned, because I work for the Justice Department and that's what the Justice Department said. Secondly, if a president can't be indicted and go to court, then I don't feel comfortable saying the president committed a crime because the way when you say someone committed a crime, they're 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 you know, satisfaction for that is to go to court and prove they didn't. The president can't do that. So it's not fair to say he committed a crime. All we're doing is we're giving you everything we know and the Congress has to decide. He explicitly says that. So then in both parts, he goes through several incidences and he says, okay, so this incident happened and to be a crime, it would have to be this, this, and this. And then he goes through each one. So some of them are a little vague. For example, the Trump tower meeting, he said, so this to be a crime has two things, you know, there has to be an offer of something of value. There has to be a willingness to accept it. And there has to be knowledge that they're breaking the law. And he's like, there is an offer and you know, federal law said it has to be worth $25,000 or more. And I can't say for sure that it would be worth $25,000 or more, which is just BS, right? It's supposedly like damning information about Hillary Clinton isn't worth $25,000, right? Like you couldn't get a book deal for 50 grand if you had damning information about Hillary Clinton. So that was one reason that Trump Jr. got off. And he's like, and also these people are all idiots and I don't know if they knew they were breaking the law. He doesn't say it that way, but that's what he said. So he doesn't debate that it all happened, that it would be illegal, but he's like, I can't say what it's worth and I didn't, I don't know if they really knew they were breaking the law. But then there are several other incidences where he's like, this is what you need to break the law. So, for example, obstruction of justice, he's like, there has to be an obstructing act. There has to be a nexus of a investigation, which means there has to either be the potential of an investigation or an investigation going on. And there has to be a willingness. And then he lists like four (laughs) that he's like, yep, all those boxes are checked on this, this, this. Yep, 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 yep. There's no because whenever there was a counter, but potentially strong legal counter argument, he'd be like, now, you know, you could also make this argument. And sometimes you'd be like, I believe this, this, and this, and there's plenty of evidence, but you could also make the argument of this, and that makes it a little shady. But on several, I think I counted three, perhaps four, in part two, he did not have any qualifiers. He's like, here's how they broke the law. Check, 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 check. Like three or four times. If anybody tells you that the Mueller report does not accuse the president of crimes, they haven't read it. It is explicit. There is no room for misreading it. It is very clear. So that's depressing. I read that the day it came out, thought maybe something would happen because of it, but it hasn't because Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell are just have no soul. Anyway, moving on. Then I read, I reread a book from the nineties that I really liked when I read it back in the day. My friend Annie and I read this book called the lives of the monster dogs by Kristen Backus. I've been thinking about it a lot lately. I bought a copy to reread about six months ago. It's been in my reading pile and I finally got to it and I reread it this week and it was really pleasant. It's about talking monster dogs that live in New York in a castle and I enjoy it. (laughs) It's sort of sci-fi horror. And also it was written in the early nineties and it took place in the future in 2009. So now it's like really funny. We're supposed to have laser guns by now. We don't have laser guns. That's kind of a bummer, but I always like reading sci-fi that took place in the future, but the future is now the past. That's pretty pleasant, which is a new twist because none of that was the case when I read it in the nineties, it was actually going to be the future 
which reminds me of a song a friend of mine wrote back in the 90s called where's my silver car where's my flying car and uh we still have them because the future is not as awesome as sci-fi people think the future is going to be we don't have talking dogs either so yeah screw the future that's it for books. Uh, I am now reading Naomi Klein's This Changes Everything. It's really depressing. I've only read one chapter. I read it drunk sitting at the bar at Tom and Jerry. It's not drunk. I read it while having a beer waiting for Benny. So I haven't got very far in that yet. So we'll talk about that next week. Uh, man, this is getting long, but I will just say work is going really well. It's very exciting. Revenue is super high because we switched over to using our own SDK and our app and we saw huge render rate improvements, which has always been sort of our next step. There's only so much you can do with server to server without sort of parsing MRAID and VPAID. And now we're doing that a little bit better. And we saw like a five point improvement in our render rates, which is awesome. We're doing some more hiring and Kristen has started. She's fixing our processes. We had a good board meeting. We're signing some more awesome clients. It's great. Super into work. That's pretty exciting. Projects, uh, basically, screw projects. <laughs> no, my notes say screw projects. I am doing enough. Mwahaha. And then bullet two says a catalog of failure if I think about it. So let's not think about it. <laughs> uh, projects. One of my secret projects is like not panning out. The other one's moving, which is exciting. But uh, one of them had some setbacks. And I just, yeah, whatever, man. I got too much going on. I think about my book all the time. I'm still reading stuff. But I, I think that like right now is not the time. So back on the whole is. Uh, a couple notes on Google alerts. There's been a lot of Caro alerts because of working by Robert Caro, but it's all getting really repetitive. Uh, there was, uh, uh, Nikki pointed out one fun thing where he, somebody asked him about Ina getting a co-writing credit and he was like, uh, 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 and it got kind of uncomfortable. That was pretty cool. Uh, and there was a great thing where he said that he had to buy his typewriter ribbons, <laughs> get some custom made and buys them by the gross. So if you need any f typewriter ribbons to drop them a line, I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, and then there are a lot of Fabergé egg Google alerts because of Easter, which is something I never really thought about. And it's like, oh yeah, people talk about Fabergé eggs at Easter. I guess that's interesting. Uh, I added a Google alert around the guy, Robert De Palma. I don't know if you read that giant article in the New Yorker about the man who's been working on this amazing dinosaur fossil discovery where he like found a bed of fossils. that's basically like perfectly preserved of the minute all the dinosaurs died because of the giant asteroid that hit. it's it's nuts I just google robert de palma new yorker and you can read all about it the paper came out and it said in the article there's going to be a lot of backlash so i was like oh i want to keep up on this and read the backlash because you know the, the press isn't very good at following up these things but so far no backlash so that'll be a good one through the years and then the other thing that has been interesting is I've had Google alerts around Flint and its drinking water since I read that book about Flint's drinking water a while back. And a thing that still I noticed this week that still happens is whenever something bad or good happens on social media, somebody likes to retweet it out and say, Flint still doesn't have clean drinking water. And it's kind of annoying. And I just wanted you to know that well, that is perhaps technically true because they're only about 95% done with replacing every pipe in Flint. Their water is well into safety limits for federal standards. You can argue about federal standards because they're kind of garbage, but the odds are at this point, Flint's water is cleaner than yours. So, and they will be finished up replacing every pipe in Flint this year, which 
your city hasn't done and your city has garbage pipes as well. So don't really think Flint is, you know, they joke in Flint. I just read two articles today that are like less than a week old about an update on this. I think some journalists are getting annoyed with every time people tweet on social media, Flint still doesn't have clean drinking water. It's just like a way to be outraged on Twitter these days. It actually, it's kind of amazing how much Flint, how much we've done has been done. <laughs> we like I had anything to do with it has been done to improve their drinking water. And I mentioned this back when I read the book, but like the way other towns have replaced their pipes, a few other towns, it's been amazing. It'd be cool if we all ran for, you know, city council or community or county boards and got our drinking water pipes replaced. But if you haven't done that, at least consider testing your water because it's probably not as clean as Flint's. Well, that's it. 56 minutes, not too bad for a double header. You know, maybe next time I skip a week, I'll just make two back to back and be like week one and then do it as if the second week hasn't happened yet. Nah, I don't really think that'll work. Uh, sorry, that was a little rushed, but I wanted to get through it all. We'll return next week at a regularly scheduled time. We'll be done with our New Orleans trip. And yeah, it'll be exciting. Thanks for listening. Talk to you guys soon. <laughs>